If you've ever been to Shirley and I's home, Shirley and my home, anyway, to our house, uh, as you go down the hallway, you'll notice we have, like most families, we have pictures lining our walls. And if you get down to the very end of the hallway, you'll notice on the left-hand side, there's this, there's this little frame thing. It's about that big. And it's silhouettes. And in that, you'll see four faces. You'll see one, and then another, and then a third, and a fourth. And as you look at them, it's almost impossible to not see that there's a relationship between each silhouette. And it's something that years ago when uh, Shirley, it wasn't long after Shirley and I moved to Florida that her mother came down and visited us for a few days. And like all good Floridians, we took her to Disney World and there happened to be a silhouette artist there. And he did a silhouette of Shirley's mom and then just the outline of Shirley's face and then Shannon's face and then Sabrina's face. It's one of my most treasured possessions. But I can see Shirley's mom and Shirley and Shannon and Sabrina. We understand that. We understand that a silhouette, a shadow sometimes will let us know something about whatever is causing that. Some of you are of the age that you probably remember the old Alfred Hitchcock hour. And as the show came on, there would be this silhouette of, of this person, and that person had a very distinct chin and a very distinct nose. And those of you that remember that show probably know at one point, as the show, I believe, was either ending or beginning, Alfred Hitchcock would step in to that silhouette, and it became apparent that it was a silhouette of his face. The Bible contains shadows. It contains silhouettes, we might say, of events and characters. One of the things that Forrest talked about, Forrest and I talked about, was that on one Sunday of a month each year, we're going to try to have a lesson from the Bible readings that we've been doing. And if you're not participating in that, we urge you to do so. We still have those. We're chronologically, or reading through the Bible chronologically, and we still have those sheets in the back for those of you that might want to participate. But when we think about this, the Bible refers to these silhouettes, these shadows, as types. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, we read, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. And so here Paul tells us that Adam was a type of Christ. He was a shadow. He was a silhouette of Christ. And in uh, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 24 we read about the tabernacle of old was a type of the true church that, um, uh, that's with us today. In Hebrews chapter 9 verse 24, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. 
So that tabernacle, the holy place, the holy, place, holy of holy places, or the most holy place, was a silhouette, a shadow of the true that would come. Christ entering into heaven as our high priest and the church being the tabernacle of God. And when it refers to these, very often the, the reality or the true is referred to as an antitype. And probably the most apparent of that is in 1 Peter chapter 3. If you have your Bibles there, we'll turn quickly to 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 19. And there Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 19, he says, uh, by whom, whom also he went, speaking of Christ, he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but an answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Here Paul, or excuse me, Peter by inspiration, writes that Noah and his family being saved through water in the ark was a shadow of individuals today being saved through baptism. And so the Bible has these. And in our reading in Genesis, and that was probably last month, maybe this month, uh, there were some shadows of Jesus Christ that I'd like for us to consider this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 21. We'll be looking at Genesis chapter 21 and then Genesis chapter 37 and following. In Genesis chapter 21, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 22, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 22, we're given an account where God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son at Isaac as a burnt offering. So if you have your Bibles, again, Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. And now it came to pass after these, after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. Then he said, Now take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of, the young, of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. And then he said, Look, the fire in the wood, 
but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And so he said, here am I. And he said, do not lay a hand on the lad nor do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you would not have withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there was behind him a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven And said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of the enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. I don't think that as as we read through that, that anyone with just a general idea of who Jesus is would not miss the shadowy references to Jesus the Christ. Notice what we notice, or consider what we notice about Isaac. God referred to Isaac as Abraham's son, his only son. Well, did Abraham have another son? He did. Remember Ishmael? But Abraham was the son of promise. God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son. Also, God recognized Abraham's love for his son. In chapter, verse 2 there of chapter 22, Now take your son, your only son, whom you love. So it wasn't as if Abraham did not care about Isaac or did not love Isaac. God recognized the love that Abraham had for him. Thirdly, Abraham was to go to the land of Moriah, which means chosen by God. God. Abraham was to take Isaac to this place chosen by God. Also, Abraham was to offer Isaac as a burnt offering. Verse 2 again. And we read, a whole burnt offering signified the complete surrender of the worshiper. And complete acceptance by God. None of the burnt offerings was to be eaten by the offer, all the offering was to be burnt. In other words, there was nothing kept by the person offering that offering. Also, we noticed from verse 6 that Isaac carried the word for his sacrifice. And then lastly, we read in Genesis 22 and verse 8 and verse 14, 
that God would provide a sacrifice. Well, let's consider how Jesus is the type or the anti-type or the reality of these shadowy uh, things that we read about in Genesis chapter 22. It's clear from the scriptures, John chapter 3, verse 16, that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Does that mean that God has no other children? Yes, he does. We, who are New Testament Christians, are children of God, but Jesus is his only begotten, out of God, his only begotten Son. Again, John 3, verse 16. And it's clear from the scriptures that God loves Jesus, he loved Jesus while he was on earth. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, when Jesus is baptized and he came up from the water, the voice from heaven declared, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 5, where Jesus is transfigured on that mount, and Peter, James, and John see Jesus with Moses and Elijah, and they hear this voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. So it was clear that God had a concern. He had a love for Jesus. Jim sometimes, when he's at the Lord's table, will pray, thanking God for the sacrifice that both he and his son made. Well, it's clear from the scriptures that it was Jesus that died on the cross. But it's also clear from the scriptures that God the Father loved his son. And that it was a painful thing. A necessary thing, a just thing, so God could be just. But there was a sacrifice by the Father as well. Not on a cross but in watching his son die on that cross. So, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5, and verses 10 and 11, we're told, Moses told the children of Israel that God would choose the place where offerings would be made. And of course, we know from Old Testament history, these things were written for our learning. We, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. We know from our Old Testament study that the place that God chose was Jerusalem. That there his temple was built. And their sacrifices were made to God. There, the males of Israel were required to come three times a year to pay homage and to worship God. Well, we also know that in the first century, Jesus was unjustly trialed, scourged in Jerusalem, and taken outside the city to be crucified on the cross, a place chosen by God. Also, Jesus completely surrendered his will to the Father, much like Isaac. In John chapter 5, verse 30, we read, I can of myself do nothing, Jesus said, as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. In John chapter 6 and verse 38, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Luke 22 verse 42, Jesus said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. 
Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Isaac did completely surrendered his will to his father. I've thought about that situation with Isaac and Abraham many times. I had to do a lesson on it last year at the men's retreat. And here's Abraham, 100 years old, plus, well, more than 100, maybe depending on the age of Isaac, we're not really sure how old he was at that time, but he's, we know that Abraham's over 100. And Isaac is big enough, mature enough, to carry enough wood for a burnt sacrifice. So he had to be a pretty good-sized lad. Now I have to think about my relationship to my father. My father, those of you that know him, was a big guy. In his later years, he'd lost some weight, but growing up, he was big, he was strong as an ox, he worked hard every day of his life, just like many of you. He didn't mess with dad. But I can imagine if dad took me up to a mountain and had me carry some wood, and I see him putting that wood and making a, a, an altar, a burnt offering, and he starts to tie my hands, there's going to be a little problem on my part. I'm not going to go easy into the night, I'm telling you. But we don't read that about Isaac. He yielded his will to his father. Also, obviously he carried the wood and Jesus carried his cross to Calvary. And then lastly, God provided Jesus the seed of Abraham as a sacrifice for sin. God provided that ram for, Isaac, or for Abraham and Isaac, but he provided Jesus as the ram, as the sacrifice, that his blood might wash away our sins. That's the first shadow of Christ in Genesis. The second one begins back in Genesis chapter 37. If you turn your Bibles, turn back there. And, and in chapter 37, we start reading about this young boy. Many believe he was about, well, I guess young boy is not a good term, a young man, uh, 17, 18 at the time, somewhere in there. And notice what we read. We're going to read a few verses here, and then we're just going to hip uh, jump around. In verse thir chapter 37, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. If you remember, Bilhah and Zilpah were maids to uh, Rachel and to... Thank you. The other one, Leah. And so, but Jacob had children through them and that whole process uh, that occurred. And so he was with them. 
Now Israel loved Jacob. Israel, of course, being um, another name for Jacob. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. And we read on, he has this dream and down through the, the end of the, down to verse 11 there. But then picking up in verse 12, we read, Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. And then he said to him, Please go and see if all is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out to the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him, and there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked, saying, What are you seeking? So he, Joseph, said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers, and they found him in Dothan. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered them, him out of his hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. And so it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, they had stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him, and they took him, cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. And when they sat down to a meal, they lifted up their eyes and looked. There was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camel, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let our, not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh, and his brothers listen, and then Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph out and lifted him out of the pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. And then we move down to verse thirty-one. And they took Joseph's tunic, killed a blood of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Notice what we learn. First, we notice that Joseph was faithful and loyal to his father Jacob. 
In other words, when the brothers did something that they should not have done, he told the father. Now, in our day and age, what do we call that kind of a person? Call him a tattletale. But look at it from the aspect of loyalty to his father and love for his father. Jacob was more loyal to his father than he was to his brothers. Shouldn't that be the same for you and I? Shouldn't we be more loyal to our fathers than we are our father, than we are to our earthly brothers and sisters? Secondly, Joseph was favored by his father. You read in verse 3 there of chapter 37. Joseph was hated by his brothers. His brothers conspired against him. Judah suggested that Joseph be sold so that the brothers could be innocent of his blood. Jacob believed Joseph was dead. In chapter 45, Jacob is told that Joseph is now alive. And then in chapter 50, verse 20, after Jacob is dead and the brothers are concerned that Joseph is going to retaliate against them, Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And the text tells us that Joseph saved his people from death. Well, let's look at Jesus. Obviously, Jesus was faithful to his father and favored by his father. We just saw that, you know, when we looked at those other passages. His meat, his food was to do the will of his father. Not my will, but his will was done. God said, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. Jesus was hated by his brethren and they conspired against him. In John chapter 11 and verse 49 through 53, uh, we read about Caiaphas being high priest that year said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. By this he did not say by his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for that nation, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Now notice verse 53. And then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. His people conspired against him. We know, many of us know, that Jesus was betrayed, betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. We read about that in Matthew 26, verse 14 through 16. Uh, Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time on, he sought the opportunity to betray him. In Matthew 27, verses 1 through 4, when the morning came, this was after the trials of Jesus, when the morning came, all the chief priests, priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus and put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And their response was, what is that to us? You see to it. In other words, we haven't done anything wrong. Wasn't that what 
Joseph brothers thought, we'll sell him and his blood won't be on our hands. Obviously, Jesus died on the cross and he was resurrected from the dead as Joseph was in the mind of his father, Israel or Jacob. And then lastly, as Joseph saved his people from physical death, Jesus saves his people from spiritual death. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, we read, Therefore, as just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, then death spread to all men because all have sinned. And then in verses 18 through 21, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came into the world, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. So we see these shadows of old in the Old Testament of Christ. That when we look at the life of Christ and we look back at these occurrences in the life of Joseph and these occurrences in the life of Isaac, that we can see that God was working. And, and that's the first thing I think we learn from these accounts, that God's providential hand was involved here, that these, these occurrences are, are too definite to be coincidental, that God was working here uh, through Isaac, through Joseph, to give Israel this pre-shadowy picture of the Christ, the Messiah that would come. It's interesting in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, that Paul writes, uh, that's not the verse I want, Ephesians chapter 2, begins in verse 8. It's uh, beginning in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up. I'm sorry, it's chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 8. To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given me that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which was from the beginning of the ages which was hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to, notice, the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the point being was God's plan for Jesus was from eternity. So these shadows are too definite to be coincidental. We see God's providential hand working through these individuals from the begin uh, very beginning. Secondly, Another thing that we can take from this is that God was revealing nuggets of his plan for redeeming man from the very beginning. In Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 10, 
Here God, through prophet Isaiah, is talking about the fallacy of idols as compared to him, the one true living God. He says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. And I will do all my pleasure. Here's God saying, I tell you things that are going to happen before they even happen. Even in ancient times, I tell you things that have not yet happened. And then Isaiah 48, verse 3, I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth and I caused them to hear them. Suddenly I did them and they came to pass. So God's revealing nuggets in the Old Testament about his plan from redeeming man. And then lastly, these shadows help us to understand and, and to confirm that the Bible is from God. Moses had to be guided by the Holy Spirit to record these events. How could he know them? And how would he know that they were pertinent to what would occur over 1,500 years later? In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 through 21, we're told that holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So we have in these shadows evidence that this book is not just the mere work of men, but of a divine being that transcends time, the past, the present, and the future. God did all that so that you and I could be with him throughout eternity. Amen. God, in his providential care and his divine wisdom, he gave this information so that you and I, reasonable people, could look at what the scriptures say. And if we're rational and if we're reasonable, come away with a proper conclusion that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And because of that conclusion, I must yield my will to his will. The Bible calls that repentance. Then and only then can I confess him as Lord. I can't confess him as Lord if I'm not yielding my will to his will. And then finally, what about my past sins? God tells us the like figure wherein baptism does now save us, the antitype. That baptism is the point that God says your past sins are washed away by the blood of the Lamb. And that we rise to walk in newness of life, Romans chapter 6, verse 3, and 3 through 6. God's plan. So the question is this morning, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Now I'm not just talking about, oh yeah, you know, oh yeah, I believe that. I'm talking about do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that he's the only way that you can get to heaven? Do you believe that he's your only hope? If you believe that and you haven't given your life to him, you need to do that. And we'd like to help you this morning. And if you've made that commitment in the past, but you've strayed from what God would have you to be, God wants you to recommit to him. 
because he wants you. He wants you to be with him throughout eternity. These shadows were written so that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. If you want hope this morning, give your life to Christ. If we can help in any way, won't you come as we sing this song of encouragement?